the epistle to the Hebrews, and chapter 9, and reading at verse 24. Hebrews chapter 9, reading at verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. <clears throat> now this epistle is uh, commonly termed the epistle of better things. In it, the apostle emphasizes the superiority of our Lord Jesus Christ in his priestly office over the Levitical priesthood. Likewise emphasizes the superiority of the one sacrifice given by Christ over all the sacrifices of the Old Testament economy. You see, these Hebrew Christians, because of their background, were inclined to fall back into uh, practices that had now, were no longer of any efficacy whatsoever with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were inclined to cling to or cleave to the rituals, the sacrifices and the rituals of the Old Testament economy. There is a sense in which we cannot but sympathize with them because after all they had been taught uh, regarding the importance of these prior to the coming of Christ. But now the apostle here emphasizes the fact that all these things have passed away with the coming of better days, with the coming of better things, with the coming of Christ. He is reminding them throughout the whole epistle of the superiority of Christ, of the super excellence of Christ. Now in these words before us here, the apostle is making what we might call a definite application of what he has been saying in the preceding verses that we read together in this chapter. And a contrast is now drawn between the types and their antitype, between what was typified under the Old Testament economy and what was now true in the one person, our Lord Jesus Christ. We see that the one great sacrifice offered by Christ unto God was the substance of all the Old Testament shadows. His one sacrifice was efficacious. It was all sufficient. It was final. I have glorified thee on earth, he could say. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And this is a truth which the early church found very difficult to grasp, particularly these Hebrew Christians. It may be a truth that you and I at times find very difficult to grasp, or at least forget so easily. And so we resort to our own acts, our own deeds, our own righteousnesses. And we lean so heavily upon what is nothing but an offense to God if we are to indeed suggest even that they have any efficacy whatsoever in our acceptance with God. Because we are accepted only in the Beloved. We are accepted only in Christ. All our righteousnesses, all our works are as but filthy rags. But Christ is all in all. He is the perfect Son of God who with one offering has perfected all God's people. We are perfect in Him. We are accepted in Him. 
and outside of him we are nothing and have nothing. Friend, are you in Christ today? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know him and is he your all in all? As you pray to God, is it Christ that is in your prayer? As you read the scriptures, is, this Christ, is it Christ who is more precious to you than all as he is mirrored for you in the pages of the Old and New Testament? And as you meditate upon the things of God, is Christ at the center of your meditation? As you go out in the name of God, is it Christ's name you seek to magnify and glorify and not uh, yourself? May it be true of us that we trust and look only to the Christ who is our Savior and Lord. Now this verse 24, which I wish to meditate upon particularly today with you, is of course inseparably connected with the previous verse and of course with all that went before that. I will read with you verse 23. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And then he goes on, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now in this verse 23, the apostle sums up his previous argument uh, concerning the typical purification of all things under the law and the spiritual purification which has been effected by the sacrifice of Christ. And the general principle uh, involved in these words is that in the expiation, that is, in the amends made by the penalty being paid for sin. The victim used must correspond in worth or in value to the nature of the offenses and indeed to the value of the blessings procured by the expiation. You see, what, what the Apostle is arguing is this, that animal blood, the blood of bulls and of goats, might pay the penalty for what we might call ceremonial guilt. Because you see, the Israelite came under the condemnation of God because of ceremonial guilt, because of a lacking in something in regard to ceremony. And this animal blood, the, the, the blood of bulls and of goats, might, did indeed secure temporary and temporal blessings for the Israelites. But the payment of the penalty for moral guilt and the attainment of eternal blessings necessitated a much greater sacrifice than that of bulls and of goats necessitated nothing less than the sacrifice of the Son of God, the shedding of the blood of Christ. Nothing less can cleanse from moral pollution, from the guilt of sin. Without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. 
your sins and my sins if they are to be remitted will be remitted only and all together by the blood not of bulls or of goats but by the blood of Jesus Christ who offered himself unto God as a lamb without spot and without blemish. Now before I go on there are one or two things which perhaps I ought to explain in the light of God's word to you. You will notice that the writer to the Hebrews here says that it was necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now these patterns and or figures of verse 24 were of course the things of which Paul had been speaking in the chapter that we read together before he came to this part. He's been speaking of particular things. He's been speaking of the covenant, the book, the people, the tabernacle and all the vessels of the sanctuary. That's the things he's been speaking about. Now he's speaking of them as only patterns of the heavenly things. That is, they were only typical of heavenly things. Now I feel that the Christian church in our day ought to try and get a hold of the significance of all these things because, you know, our Christian lives would be all the more full were we to realize all that was uh, there taught the Israelites in the Old Testament and thereby we ourselves will learn all the more about the Christ who fulfilled all that was typified to these Old Testament saints by these, these patterns or figures. The patterns were the book, the people, the tabernacle, the vessels of the sanctuary. But now he is speaking of something else. He is speaking of what was typified by that. What these things typified were heavenly things. Now these other things were purified by the sacrifices of the Old Testament economy. But he is speaking here of heavenly things. What were the heavenly things? Well, the, ever, the heavenly things are the everlasting covenant. You remember there was a covenant made with Moses that was a temporal thing. But that only typified or showed forth the everlasting covenant. And more than that, typified in these things was the church itself and all the spiritual blessings which um, the mediation of Christ has secured for the church. This is what was typified by this. Now you will notice that he speaks of that the fact that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these Old Testament sacrifices, but he says the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now how is it that the writer to the Hebrews, the apostle here, speaks of sacrif better sacrifices than these when we know, and he is emphasizing the fact that by one sacrifice Christ has fulfilled everything that was typified by the Old Testament uh, Levitical priesthood. 
Well, there are various ways in which we might explain that, but perhaps the best is that under the law, there were five chief offerings appointed unto Israel. There was the peace offering, the burnt offering, the meal offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Now there are other offerings we know, but these were the, the five main offerings. They were of primary importance. They were the chief offerings. Now, in Christ's one great sacrifice, we have, if you like, the antitype of all these, of all five. And if you look at the sacrifice of Christ, have you considered the sacrifice of Christ? You can consider his sacrifice in the light of all these. And every time you consider Christ's sacrifice, his sacrifice includes all these. So that all the sacrifices, if you like, of the Levitical law are given by Christ in one sacrifice. So that if you're considering the sin offering, well, you look at Christ and you say, well, that's him offering the sin offering. If you want to look at the, 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 any of the other, the meal offering or the, the burnt offering, or a trespass offering, each one of these typified Christ and he offered himself as it were in the fulfillment of these. So that is one sense, that is the, I think that puts in a nutshell if you like, the sense in which the apostle is here using the plural there when he speaks of the sacrifices of Christ. He is sacrificing himself once but in these he is fulfilling all these sacrifices. I want then to turn with you in particular today to this verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now in these words, I wish to notice with you three particular things. I want to consider with you, first of all, the subject spoken of, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. There is the subject spoken of. It is Christ. And secondly, I want to consider what is said of him. He is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. He is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. And thirdly, I want to consider the end in view in all this. What is the end Christ had in view in so entering into them? It is to appear in the presence of God for us. <clears throat> Notice then briefly, first of all, the subject spoken of. It is Christ. Christ is spoken of here and the word is specifically used by the apostle here. Because you see, from verse 15, he has been 
speaking indefinitely, if you like, about the mediator, the mediator of the new covenant, what he was to be, and what he was to do, and so on. The mediator and the high priest, as we read through this chapter, we find are the same. But now, we are told that the mediator and high priest, who is the same, is none other than Christ, our high priest. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. Christ is the mediator. Christ is the high priest. He is the mediator between God and man. It emphasizes this particular religious office of Christ, if you like, in his mediatorial capacity between God and man. He is there as mediator. He is there as high priest. Who is this great person? It is none other than Christ, the anointed one. The anointed of God. He has been put there by Christ, by God, appointed there by God. This is our great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is there as priest, offering an offering to God. What is the offering he offers? It is himself. None other than himself. Nothing less than himself. He is offering there. The sacrifice of Christ's priesthood is himself. He gives himself without spot unto God. He pours out his soul and therein he pours out himself unto God unto death for us. He becomes obedient unto death in giving himself a sacrifice for our sins. This is what Christ has done. This is the person brought before us here. Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Now that's an important word to the Jew. To the Christian Jew is an important word to you today if you're a Christian. You might ask your, I might ask you the question Scripture asks, all of us. What think ye of Christ today? What does he mean to you? What understanding do you have of who he is and what he has done? But I want to go on hurriedly to consider secondly with you what is said of him here. He is Christ, but certain things are said about the Christ here, if you like. Now, the particular honor given to the high priest under the Old Testament economy lay in the fact that he alone entered into the holiest of all, which was, of course, the typical representation of the presence of God. The high priest alone was allowed to enter right into the presence of God, if you like. That was the particular honor that God placed upon the high priest in Israel. But this was not only an honor, it was a duty. He must not come short in this. This he must do, but this he and he alone must do. And this he must do only once a year on the Day of Atonement. That was his office, that was his right, that was his privilege, that was his honor, that was his duty. Now, the apostles here speaking of Christ, 
our high priest who has offered himself once for all. Now, what he is saying is this, that he also must enter into the presence of God because he is a high priest. That is the great honor God has bestowed upon him. And it is his duty to enter into the very presence of God as the high priest. But you will notice what the apostle here says is that he has entered into the holiest but not into the holy places made with hands. That is the holy place in the sanctuary or the most holy place in the tabernacle. Notice places that are that the word is, uh, that is used there. He didn't enter into these, into, into the holy places made with hands. Oh no. These were holy places. Let us not forget that everything that was ordained of God in regard to the sanctuary was holy. It was ordained of God sanctified by God, set apart by God. All that was there was unique and special and was held in high esteem by the Israelite, looked upon with awe and reverence, and rightly so. But, although that was so, they were but patterns. They were but patterns. They were but types, figures. They were but figures of the true that is of the true holy place of heaven itself they but typified the heavenly things now this is what the apostle is saying Christ has not entered into that earthly tabernacle but he has entered into heaven itself that is where Christ has gone he has gone oh yes God was there present in the, over the, uh, in, the, in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, the presence was there. But that was only typical of the holy place in heaven where, where God dwells. Christ has entered heaven itself where God dwells. As Owen puts it, the peculiar residence of the presence, majesty and glory of God and of his throne. That is where Christ has gone. The entrance of Christ into heaven was into the temple of God, if you like. Where the throne of grace is. And that was typified, of course, in the most holy place in the tabernacle. Where the ark was and the mercy seat and the cherubim of glory overshadowing them. That is where Christ entered in, having offered himself a sacrifice unto God. He entered into heaven. This he did immediately. He died on the cross. You remember the high priest under the Old Testament economy entered there into the holiest of all, not without blood. But the blood had to be shed before he could enter in. 
the sacrifice had to be given before he could go in there. He must not, dare not enter in there without blood. So Christ, having shed his blood on the cross, entered into glory immediately. Now there was another entrance of Christ into heaven after this. That is after his resurrection. You will remember that he lived for a term, for a while on earth after his resurrection and then he ascended. But that was his triumphant er entrance into heaven. That is not of that of which we are reading here at all. It's two different things altogether. But that doesn't mean to say that he didn't enter in. Of course he did. Immediately, he gave himself on the cross, he entered in. This entry, in other words, has to do with the sacerdotal work. It has to do with his high priestly offering of a sacrifice. And as a consequence of his having offered one sacrifice once for all, he is accepted into the very presence of God. And it may be that by now some of you at least are saying, well, what has all this to do with us? What has it to do with us here today in Dingwall as we sit together here on this Lord's Day? Well, my friends, it has much to do with us. It has much to do with us. And that brings me to my third and final point. The end in view here. What was the end in view in Christ's entering into the holiest of all? Well, we read here that it was now to appear in the presence of God for us. It was to appear in the presence of God for us that Christ entered in there. Now, perhaps you overlooked, as I did for quite some time, the word now here. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. What is the word? The word means at this present time. But someone says, surely the apostle has been talking here of something that took place thousands of years ago. <laughs> yes, but the fact is that the appearing of Christ in the presence of God is an, an ever-present now. He appears in the presence of God now, that is at this present time, now and always. What is your hope of heaven? Is it not this very fact that Christ is in there, our elder brother? He is in there having fulfilled all righteousness. He has entered into heaven. He appears there now. You see the Old Testament high priest's entrance into the holy place made with, with hand had no continuance. It was just an annual event. But you see Christ has entered heaven and is appearing there now for us, for us always, now and always. Oh, you feel your sin, you sense your sin as a child of God, and you feel there's no hope for you. If you were a Christian, this wouldn't be true of you. You wouldn't do this, you wouldn't do that. And that is 
perhaps one of the most difficult parts of our old Christian lives here on earth that we feel and we know we're anything but what we should be that although we are not what we should be Christ is everything and he is always there although we fail he fails not we change he changes not we're accepted in the beloved in the living Christ who is appearing now and always in the presence of God for us my believing friend lay hold of that fact today that Christ now is appearing in the presence of God for us the entrance of Christ into heaven had many ends of course but this is the only end of his entry into heaven as God's temple the seat of the throne of grace as our great high priest The high priest of old appeared before the ark, before the mercy seat. Remember? According to the law. But Christ appears, has entered into the very presence of God himself for us. And friend, that is your safety and mine if we are his. There is safety for us in none other but in him and in him alone he is standing there before God before his face before the face of God Christ is standing there for the believer and herein lies the proof that his sacrifice has been successful that all that he has done in the removal of sin has been received by God because as I've already indicated until the, until the animal was slain and the blood was shed there was no entrance for the high priest into the, into the holiest place made with hands and so it is Christ has done all well and he has entered into heaven for us only thus could he have appeared before God for us oh would you glory today in what Christ has done in that he has finished the work he appeared there for us. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now he says, I come unto thee. As he looks to the immediate future when that would be so, Christ is thus speaking on the cross. And he has left these words for us, for our comfort, for our edification, for our consolation, for our sanctification. Oh, Christ has not left nothing undone. He has left nothing to chance in the life of the Christian. He has left nothing to chance in the furtherance of his kingdom. You know, we so foolishly get so concerned at times about the kingdom of God, as if it depended on man, as if it depended on you and me, as if anything depended on us. It's all in the hands of the great high priest of the church of God. He appears there in the presence of God as a lamb that had been slain. He is now alive and lives forever. There he appears in the presence of God for us. Oh, he is the great representative of the church of Christ. He is there as our advocate always pleading our cause 
always pleading our cause. Ah, oh, you say, what about my sin? Christ knows your sin. He has atoned for your sin. And even now, at this very moment, he is pleading your cause. Not only for the sin you've committed in the past, not only for the sin that is true now as you're sitting here in this church, but for the sin you commit yet today and tomorrow and the next day. You remember how Christ clearly taught this to his disciples of old? Remember poor Peter? He said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you to sift you as wheat. But I have what? Prayed the Father that your faith fail not. Christ knew that Peter was going to deny him. Christ knew the awful sin Peter was going to be guilty of. But he says, I have prayed the Father for you. And that's your safety. And so your faith will not fail. And so it is. Therein was but a, 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 a type, if you like, a forerunning of what was true or is to be true in Christ's own experience and is true of him now as he pleads the good of his people before God the Father continually because I live, says he, ye shall live also. You're not going to live because of the grace you have received. That's not why you're going to live forever at all. It is because I live, ye shall live also. It's all because of me. Your salvation is in me. I am your salvation. I am your all. I am your everything. And he is there for us good. For our good, that is. Behold, I, says he, and the children whom God has given me. And as if he was saying that to his father as he pleaded, Behold me, and you can't behold me without beholding the children you gave me. Thine they were, and you gave them me. I am the head, they are the body. God looks upon his son always in love and he looks always upon his people in love as he looks upon them in Christ as he looks upon you in Christ as he looks upon you as you are safe in him and he's more or less saying to them I present them into your love and your care that they may enjoy all the benefits of my death and my sacrifice they, these things cannot be denied them now why? Because God is true and God is just and God is righteous. Nothing, not one of the benefits of the covenant can be denied the children of God. As he pleads there in the presence of God for them. And this will ensure the prosperity and advancement of every single individual within the church of Christ and the church of Christ herself collectively in every age until all be gathered in and we will join with him in glory there in that place where Christ is to be forever with the Lord and there is no better place as Paul says elsewhere to be with Christ is far better oh you say I'm afraid I'm afraid Will I be there? If you've believed, you will. Because he's there for you. And as your great high priest, he lives evermore to intercede. And in that day, you will see him as he is. You know, we've become so... so conditioned by this modern world of ours, this materialistic age of ours that the Christian church lives as if what she has is but temporal 
contemporary. Whereas what the church of Christ is, is eternal and spiritual. Friends, Christ lives. He is our hope. He is our everything. May we glory in him and in him alone. May he bless his word to us. Let us pray. O eternal one, we pray that we would know in reality that Christ lives. There is so much death around us. There is so much spiritual apathy. So little interest in the vital truths of Scripture that are so precious to thy people. May we be of such as dwell more upon these and learn more about the Christ and the God whom we will learn more of and more of throughout eternity. Bless us as a congregation. O Spirit of God, grant that thou wouldst come among us. We plead the finished work, the intercession of Christ, praying for prosperity, praying for quickening power. Be with us today, keep us by thy power. Watch over us on life's way. Pardon us for Jesus' sake. Amen.